Father, we give you thanks for another week to be together, another Sunday morning. We thank you for the work that you've done all week. Father, I pray that we are living our lives in such a way that we can, we can look back over the week and see how you've used us to impact people. And thank you for the opportunity that you invite us to, that it's not just about getting saved and waiting for heaven, but to actually engage people to make impacts. And so, Father, I pray that even for this next week that you'd prepare us for who's the one, God, that you want us to impact. God, as we dig into your word, I pray that you would keep my agenda, my opinion to myself. Father, I pray that the only agenda is your kingdom, that the kingdom of God would be advanced because of our time together in worship, our time together in your word. I pray that Jesus, you would be the one that's noticed most. Father, I pray that you would be the one that speaks, that we'd be attentive, that I myself would be teachable. We want to hear what you have to say. We would be convicted where necessary and encouraged. Draw us deeper into intimacy with you, I pray. Holy Spirit, draw us closer and closer to Jesus. We pray this in his name. And everyone who agrees says, amen. Okay, a question I've brought up many, many times, and I'll probably continue to bring it up many, many times, is this one question, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? And I feel like that kind of fits, it'd be like in every decision that could come our way, maybe we start with, if I have to deal with a situation or I'm going forward with a possibility, I have to start with, is Jesus worth it? See, I'm not asking, is Christianity worth it? And this may come as a shock to some when I say Christianity's not worth it. You're like, oh, oh, I knew this was not the place for me. Here's why I don't think it's worth it, because if you take Christ out of Christianity, it's just another religion. You start with the person of Jesus. It's always about Jesus when we just start with a religion or a belief system. How many people give up their lives simply for a belief system? You say, well, I know a ton. Well, we might sacrifice certain things, but I'm saying to lay down everything, to change everything. See, I'm not committed to the concept of marriage. I'm I'm committed to Kelly. It's a person, my wife. And when it comes to us following Jesus, it should be this question. Is he worth it? Is Jesus worth us giving up everything to follow him? Guys, we have to come to a conclusion about that because here's the thing. We have a culture that we live in. And this is not a message us against them. Remember, we're not fighting against the world. We're fighting for them. That we want people to come to Christ, but the world lives in a way that is, in many ways, contrary to what Scripture teaches. It's contrary to righteous living. It's contrary to what God wants us and how he wants us to live. And so we have to come back to, is Jesus worth it? That if the Bible's true, which I believe every word of it is, and when Paul says, anyone who desires to live a godly life will be persecuted. If we actually believe that that's true, We have to answer the question, is Jesus worth it? No matter what. And for us to respond to people, not against them, but to respond for them, we want people to come to Jesus. And it is so easy for us to decide beforehand who's worthy of us telling them about Jesus. Friends, I'm not worthy of the gospel. I'm not worthy of the calling that God gave on my life. That I'm not worthy that he called me into relationship with himself. I'm not worthy. You're not worthy of it. That's why it's called grace. But isn't it weird how it can become this? The longer we walk with Jesus, or maybe if you have a legalistic background, 
How all of a sudden we forget that it's really about grace and all of a sudden we begin to show our resume on how good of a Christian we've been. But the beauty of grace is this. I can always sit there and go, I have nothing to do with this, God. My whole life is just simply in response. I love you and I want to worship you because you're worth it. Guys, if the only reason that we're applying the principles of the scriptures is so that we can have a better life, Think about it. Have you ever had someone say, if you follow Jesus, then you're going to see him do these things. And don't get me wrong, I believe that there are blessings and obedience to God. But what if it doesn't turn out the way that you said that it would? Doesn't that person then pull back and go, I thought you said if I surrender to Jesus, then this is what would change. You want to know the ultimate sign that God adores you. It has nothing to do with his providence his providence in our circumstance, the fact, the truth that we can hold on to that Jesus loves us is the cross. And after that, it's all whatever he wants. But the cross is Jesus' declaration that he is wild and crazy about us. And whether our circumstances get better or worse, we still have to answer the same question. Is he Worth it. In Mark chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, and he asked them, Jesus asked his disciples, but who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him. None of the other disciples did, but just Peter. He says, you are the Christ. If Jesus came in and said, who are you? Or who do you believe that I am? Who do you say that I am? What would you say? And then, if he came and said it to me, Ask me the question, and I tell him, would my life then follow the declaration that I just told him? Or is it just some words that I say? But I'm not going to go that far into it, because if I go that far into it, it might cost something. Friends, I've said this over and over and over and before. Salvation is a gift that God gives to us that he paid for. Jesus paid for it. But discipleship costs us everything for the rest of our lives. And that's why you have to answer the question, is Jesus worth it? Is he worth it? So we ask him the question, how would you answer that question? And then down in verse 34 of Mark 8, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, now listen to this. This is not one of those verses that usually comes up in a lot of churches. And in the past, I've been guilty of just saying this. If you want to accept Jesus into your life, then just put your hand up. And then just repeat these words. And it's usually something like this. I love you, will you forgive me? Come into my life. That's it. No call to repent, no call to follow Jesus. Just an idea of salvation without discipleship. And yet we're called to follow Christ, not just get saved. Listen to what Jesus says, because this verse doesn't make it into a whole lot of the Hallmark cards. This isn't one of those that's like, oh, that just makes me feel fantastic because following Jesus isn't going to cost a lot. And this is what he says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. That's the first one. Guys, does anybody else like you? That sounds weird. Don't you like you? I like me. And I like my ways. And I like things working out the way that I want them to work out. I'm not asking if you like me. I like me. And I want things to work a certain way. And when they don't, I can, get, I can get a little bit frustrated. Anybody with me on this? So the day didn't turn out like it was supposed to. You ever, it usually comes with this phrase. I've asked, I've asked you before. Have you ever had one of those days? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone had those days? You ever had one of those days? I always feel bad for that phrase, those days, because it's never positive. 
You ever have one of those days? And it's the day that you're asking for the Lord to come back. It's always the rapture day. It's like, I need Jesus to come back now. My children aren't listening to me, or we found out we're having more, and I'm already freaking out with the ones we have. It's like, all this stuff can kind of come. I don't want to go anywhere. God, I'm having one of those days. You got to come back now. One of those days. Guys, it's not just about keeping bad stuff away that we think that that's denying self. That's not, that's not denying self. That's just self-denial. It's about taking all those things that we love that can be good. Family, friends, the ministry we have, this church community, the jobs we have, the, the things that God has blessed us with, how, where we live, taking all these things, not bear-hugging because we don't bear-hug bear anything because we gave up our lives to Jesus. We don't bear-hug anything. We give up everything. That God, my family belongs to you. The resources that we get to live on, they belong to you. This church community belongs to you. It's all yours. That's to deny self. I don't have plans. It's all him, whatever he wants, which means we need to do what? Pray all the time. God, what do you want? God, what do you want? God, what do you want? Instead of, God, this is what I'm doing, bless it. What if we start and ask him first? Deny yourself. Take up your cross. I think the book, I think the writer, I think Luke in his gospel says, pick up your cross daily. You're like, I will pick up my cross. But let's think through that literally. When people in the first century heard that phrase, pick up your cross, do you think that they were thinking of a charm that they would wear? Or the concept that God loves me and I know because Jesus died for my sin. And I know that he'll resurrect from the dead. It all points to the love of God. Absolutely not. Just like none of us today would sit there and go, I love the electric chair. I have a, I have a charm of the electric chair. And if that's you, if you have a charm in the electric chair, you need to talk to someone. Because that's freaky. That no one in the first century said, go, look at my charm. They said, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You actually wear this. Because now look over there and see what the Roman Empire is doing to those people on that cross. So Jesus is saying, what? I want you to pick up your death. If it costs you everything, deny yourself Pick up your death if it costs you everything. And then the greatest invitation of all. You're sitting there going, Brian, that's a lot. I know, isn't it weird that Jesus would actually ask this? But this is the best part. And then follow me. Guys, that's the best part. You know the best part about following Jesus? It's Jesus. It's him. It's not the rest. It's him. Because I'm convinced that this book has less to do with like self-help principles. It's all about Jesus. If all the law and the prophets point to Christ, that's pretty much saying the whole fatty part of the Bible that we're afraid to read, that's all pointing to Jesus' is coming. Then you have the gospel saying what it's like when he showed up. Then Acts, how does the church respond to how Jesus showed up? And then the rest of all, Paul's always talking about Jesus. Don't you see the main point? Him. Deny yourself. Brian, I have these thoughts or these feelings or these inclinations or deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow him. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Guys, this is what he's called us to. So we're breaking down here in chapter four of Colossians. We get to verse 12, we come across a guy named Epaphras. And starting verse 12, it says, Epaphras, who is one of you, so he's a Christian from Colossae, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, 
always struggling on your behalf in prayers. Now, if you don't mind, if you have a paper Bible and you have a pen or a highlighter, underline or circle or highlight that word struggling, if that's what yours says. But it's going to say something that's similar to that. And guys, I think it's so important. Why? Guys, when you look up the meaning of that word, it means compete or to fight. Because I don't know that I pray like that. It's just this stroll. I'm on my prayer walk talking to God about things, and I'll get some frustrations here. But I wouldn't sit there. I'm sitting there competing or I'm fighting. Guys, even when you look at the, the Greek word for it, I'm not going to try to say it because I always butcher the word. Oh, no, I'm going to go for it. I'm gonna, this is me. Ready? Agon, agoniz, agon, I'm telling you, this is, this is why I never do it. Agonizomai, which means this. We get our word agony or agonizing from this word. Do we agonize through prayer? Or is it just this? God, thank you for this day. Bless us. Comfort us. And yet I can ask for those things. But do I pray? Do I hurt? Do I fight on behalf of others? Because when Paul is talking about Epaphras, he's like, this is a servant in Christ. And he wants me to make sure that I tell you hello from him. And know this, he fights on behalf of you in prayer. He competes. He agonizes over you in prayer. And then this is, this is how he prays. This is the request. That you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. That's it. That's what he's praying for. That you may stand mature. In other words, that we're going to grow up in our relationship with Jesus. How does that happen? We're going to spend time with him in prayer. We're going to spend time with him in the word. We're going to spend time with him serving. We're going to spend time with him uh, making an impact on other people, telling people about Jesus. We're going to grow in our faith. I want you to stand mature. We're not supposed to be at the same place. When we started with Jesus, 10 years later, if nothing's changed, I don't know that we're following all that close to him anymore. There should be change that happens. Because if we really are going to deny ourselves and pick up our cross and follow Jesus, there is no way that Jesus will leave us the same. He says, this is how he's praying for you, that you would stand mature. And that you would be fully assured in what? All the will of God. Fully assured. I will not bend on what it is that God's will is. Again, friends, I know that there is this revealed will of God, which is his word. Like he, it's right here. If you want to know what God's will is, open the book. Friend, I don't like to read. Yeah, I know. Get over it. Well, then you can listen to it. Isn't it amazing? God's like, I know a lot of people throughout the centuries have said they don't like to read. So I'm going to make sure that somebody records it for you so you can just listen. I don't like to listen. Well, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say to you. Don't know how to help you. But isn't it amazing that if it's, a, if it's a letter or card or email from that certain someone and you're just crazy about it, especially remember for, for those who are in high school, remember back in the day when that person was sharing with you how much they liked you and all of a sudden it's like, I just got to read it. I got to read it. And then you'd read it again. And then you get a friend to come over and read it. Hey, what do you think they meant by this? When they use the word like there, what do you think they meant? Like, 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 or like, 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 like. What do you think? What do you think they're going after here? It's like we're reading all these things into it. Why? Because it's from a person that we know might like us, but we definitely adore them. And then we get to the word and we think that it's just a manual for life. Instead of this love letter from a God, the creator who, who penned it, he took 1,500 years to pen this book that we might know him better. And we come up with all these reasons as to why we can't or won't. You want to know what God's will is? You got to get your face in the book. 
But what about that specific will? God, do you want us to move here or stay? Now, for those of you that think, like, you feel like maybe God's calling you out of this area so you can't be part of this church, he's not telling you to do that. I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that's a totally selfish thing. That's not from the Lord. I was totally plain. That's a joke. If you go, we will pray you out, but we will miss you like crazy. But here's the thing. Am I supposed to move? I'm supposed to not. Do I take this job or do I not? Do I marry this person or don't I? Because what if you screw up? Like, what if you miss the answer to that one question? Your life is junk. That's it. Have a great day, guys. Enjoy your day. Aren't you thankful that God's bigger than all the decisions? Isn't it? Don't you think, think about it. If I'm sitting there going, God, what do you want me to do? I said, would you reveal it? Would you reveal it? Would you reveal it? I'm paying attention. My whole delight is in you. Don't you think that maybe one, God will, God will give you the desires, new desires of your heart, or two, what if you did make that quote unquote mistake and instead of getting the 10, you got the nine or the 10 and the seven. It's like, what, which one was right? And God's sitting there going, I'm just thankful you sought me. You asked and I can bless anything except sinful decisions, but God can redeem those, true? I mean, aren't we all, aren't we all examples that God can redeem our sinful pasts and to paint this amazing picture of redemption? Absolutely. But we're so afraid to make decisions, but if we sit there going, God, I, want you to, I, I just wanna do what you want me to do, but don't you just wish you'd send the text? Wouldn't that be easy to just text you, I want you to do this? But he doesn't. And it's like, God, is this just a game? No. Maybe in all of that, you're, he's actually revealing to you, hey, you're not just about his stuff. You're after his heart. So I'm just going to ask, and you don't have to if you don't want to, but I thought, well, if Epaphras paid, prayed like this, well, why don't we stop for just a second and pray? So if there's any of you that would like prayer, like there's something specific that you're needing God's direction because part of his prayer was that you'd be fully assured in all the will of God. I mean, the stuff that's revealed in his word, yes, and the specific ones that, yes, absolutely. And here's what I'm gonna ask, and I know it's, I know it's a stretch, but I told you we're gonna keep moving forward into prayer, and I'll explain that in just a second. We're gonna move forward as a community into being prayers. We're gonna be prayers. But if you sit there going, yeah, there's kind of this decision they've gotta make or we've gotta make as a family, and, we're, we don't know what to do. And we do, we want God to reveal his will. Would you stand up so we can pray for you? I'll, I mean, I'll lead the prayer. You don't have to say a word. But if you're sitting there going, there's something that I gotta deal with. Would you just stand? I don't, and there's nothing that's like, the Lord told me to tell you. There's, there's 12 of you. I better see 12. No, I don't have a clue. This might be the thing that never works. But okay, so there's one there. Immediately else, if, if, if I start to pray and you're going, God, would you reveal your will? What do you want? As I pray, if you would stand, and if somebody stands around you, would you just pray with them? If you feel comfortable and you know them, maybe place a hand on their shoulder. If you don't, this is the opportunity to meet that person, like to be a community. So if you want to be prayed over, as I pray, you stand. And if someone around you stands, would you pray with them? And we pray the same way Epaphras does, okay? Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us how to agonize in prayer that we would just hurt and fight and be victorious in prayer. God, we no longer settle for hearing of the stories of Acts or stories of other churches around the world, but you would do great things. 
Father, I pray for those who are standing. God, they are asking, God, what is your will? God, what do you want? And it might be two or three or four choices that all seem great. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would reveal to them truth, that they would have this conviction and this certainty and full assurance of your, of your full and complete will. And that God, as they seek you, that they would know that they're loved and adored and that that, that takes away all the anxiety and the worry that what if I don't get it right, God, I pray that they would trust you and that they could say, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, please reveal, in all of it reveal your heart, in all of it reveal to them their desire for you and give them peace. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says, amen, amen. Thank you all. Verse 13, for I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you. The word, that phrase, worked hard, great trouble, intense desire, or pain. This following Jesus and serving other people should exhaust us. We sit there going, is he worth it? He's worth it. He's worth whatever comes. I will agonize in prayer. I will work hard for the cause of the gospel. I will work hard on what it is that God has called me to do. I will go for it because he's worth it. So friends, if Epaphras agonized in prayer over Christians in Colossae, shouldn't we do the same thing here? Friends, we have a prayer channel on our Slack, on our, our, our Slack messaging service that we use. And if you don't know what that is, please use the Connect card. Just go to Purpose Claremont. Oh, no, let me just say it again. Ignite City. I just said it. IgniteCity.Church. Don't say that. IgniteCity.Church. Click Connect card. And on there, just say, hey, Slack or prayer or something like that. Because here's the thing. I want us to pray. I've had two different people ask me the same question this week. Hey, how come in the book of Acts you see God doing all these miraculous things, and it doesn't look like he's doing it here now? And some people go, oh, he just stopped doing those miraculous things. Guys, you know the problem with that? Is that the rest of the world who gets to see the miraculous and doesn't give all the credit to other things beside God, they're getting to see the miraculous and we're just giving credit to Tylenol. Is it possible that God's going to go, I'm just waiting for my church to ask. I'm waiting for my church to wake up. I'm waiting for my church to what? Pray, agonize, hurt. In prayer for others, not just for us. So just use the connect card. Just put Slack or prayer or something on there so we can get you connected. And I will put a video together to show you this is exactly how you use it. What if we did that? Warren Wearsby, he's a, uh, he's a scholar and a pastor from back in the day. He said this, prayer isn't an option. It's an obligation and an opportunity for us to glorify God's name and receive his blessing. It's also an opportunity to participate in miracles. Every time somebody says, hey, did you pray for me? Especially if it's healing. I'll do it. Sometimes it's a text. Sometimes if it's in person, I'll do it. But the first thing right after that, I'll say, how do you feel? You're like, why would you do that? Put him on the spot. Because I want to know if he did it. I want to know. What if he did it right then? I mean, let's pray for big things. Wouldn't it be sick if all of a sudden a dude doesn't have a hand and hand grew? Oh, God would never do that. Why not? I don't know if he would or not, but why not? What if we just ask and trust how he's going to do it? But we agonize, we hurt, we pray, we work hard for the gospel. Because why? 
Because we have to know because Jesus is worth it. It's loving him most, even before loving people. Then in verse 14, we get to Luke. He's known as the beloved physician. For the whole week, I don't think I noticed this until, early, until either, either this morning I thought about it or yesterday. And I'm, when I say I thought about it, I'm pretty sure that God gave me the idea. I'm hoping, I'm trusting. He didn't just say fellow worker or fellow servant or beloved brother. He says he's the beloved physician. Here's why I think it's important. I'd say most of you in this room aren't pastors. And praise God that you have a job or you have a role or a responsibility. You're a student on a campus and you are the beloved. Do you see it? That when Jesus called his disciples, he's like, hey, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He looks at the bunch of fishermen and says, I'll take what you are doing and know how to do and I'll give it this divine purpose. That's not calling every single person to be a pastor as if this is the only place that ministry happens. This is such a small place of where ministry happens. And this is not the hardest job on the planet. I'm thankful that I get to be a pastor. I'm thankful. I'm so thankful that you're generous, that you give, that I can have this, I can have this livable wage for me and my family. But most pastors who say, this is the hardest job, have never had a real job. Because if this begins that hard, I just can't handle it, then you're doing it wrong. Just care for God's people. Just do that. So if you're not called to quote unquote pastor, and I don't even like the phrase vocational, I don't like full-time ministry, we're all called to the same thing. And maybe you can give more time than others because of where God has you and what he has you doing, but he takes what you do and where you are and then he says, I'll use it. Luke, if you're a physician, you will be the beloved physician impacting the kingdom. Think about how often Luke was able to minister to Paul medically. Don't you think that Paul got sick in two, after a couple years in prison? And there's the beloved physician. He's gonna go, but my part has nothing to do with Jesus. It absolutely does. If you believe that God blessed you with it and called you to it, you gotta believe that he's gonna use you in it. True? So he says, the beloved physician greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. So it's weird, you have Luke, the beloved physician, but he doesn't give any title for Demas. He just says, there's Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas. It's almost like this quick pass-by. He's mentioned, Demas is mentioned in Philemon 23 and 24. It says this, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, stands greetings or sends greetings to you, as do, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. And so he gives Demas that phrase, fellow workers. But you go from that to Colossians chapter 4, there's no title now. It's just Demas. And then you get to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, looking at Demas. He says, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Uh-oh. Guys, it doesn't say that he left the faith. I used to think, oh, he deserted Jesus. If you desert Paul, you desert Jesus. No. It could have just been this. The same way that Mark, when he's on his first missionary journey with Paul and Barnabas, all of a sudden he goes, I want to go home. I want to go home. Paul, this is getting freaky. People are throwing stuff at you. People hate you. I want to go home. It could have been the exact same thing for Demas. 
At some point, Demas got to a place where maybe he's with Paul and he goes, I want to go home. And Paul felt deserted. But isn't it amazing when we look at, at Mark's life and later on at the very end when Paul is writing about Mark and Timothy, he says, and bring Mark, he's very useful to me. That that relationship was restored, that we have a restorative God that we worship and we follow. I don't know what happens to Demas after this, but I do know, I do know this. This is an application we can take from it. In your walk with Jesus, let's see, I'm not going to have you raise your hand, but I believe this. Well, if you want to, you can. You ever get to that point where it's like, man, this is good. This is good. And then God goes, next chapter. And you're like, I don't want that one. I don't want to go further. I like this one. Like, I feel like I can own this one. And so he's asking you to take the next step. You're like, I'm not going that far. I'd rather go back to what I know rather than walk with Jesus into the unknown. And isn't that the problem? Friends, all of a sudden, if, the, if going back to what's comfortable if that's what I long for, rather than walking with Jesus, he'll take me to unknown places, but I'm walking with Jesus. When that becomes more satisfying to me or more appealing to me, then there's a problem in my walk with Jesus. Because at some point we might have bought into the lie. Jesus just wants to make sure you're as comfortable as possible by the time you meet him. Friends, that is not true. Jesus' goal is that you would look as much like Jesus as possible when you meet him. And at some point it might hurt, and he might break, and he might take us nuts. Let me change the word. He will hurt, and he will break, and he will take us through things that are so uncomfortable and painful for the purpose of sanctifying us more into the image of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit, who is God, is not just with us, walking with us, but he is in us, empowering us to move forward with him. So maybe, maybe for some, you're at that place of Demas, where it's like, I want to retreat, I want to go back. And my call to you is just keep coming. We're going to walk forward together in community. And Jesus might have us all in different places in this walk, but we're just going to encourage each other along the way. Why would we do it? Because Jesus is worth it. Right? Like, it's not just I'm a Christian. It's Jesus. You're wor- I will go with you because you're worth the journey. In Matthew chapter 8, 18 to 20, Jesus saw this crowd scribe comes running up to him and says this teacher i will follow you wherever you go and jesus said to him hey foxes have holes birds of the air have nests but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head he says i'll i will i'll go wherever you want and jesus is like no you won't right after that he says one of his disciples came up to him lord let me first go and bury my father and jesus <laughs> seems so heartless Jesus, let me first go and bury my dad. And Jesus goes, okay, sure. No, he says, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. I'm not sure that would go over well with my family. Dad dies, I I can't come. I've got to follow Jesus. Dad, sorry, bury yourself. Guys, is is Jesus just heartless here? I'm pretty sure that this guy's dad wasn't really dead because he's there with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that if his dad was dead, he'd pretty, pretty much be mourning. And if he had this, long, this great relationship with his dad, he'd be there mourning with his family. So I don't think dad was really dead when Jesus said that. It's like, hey, I know these excuses. Like, you want tight relationship with your dad, and one day you'll have to bury him. But I'm telling you, follow me. Brian, that's a lot to ask. I know, welcome to discipleship. Because it's all connected to the one question, which is what? Is Jesus worth it? 
Does it mean we don't care for those around us? Absolutely not. In fact, we will love people better around us when Jesus is our priority. When we love Jesus most, we will love people best. But if he is not the priority, he is not preeminent, then everything else will be lacking. And we will stop at that line every time because we prefer comfortable over Christ sometimes. In Colossians chapter four, verse 15, it says, give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and to the church in her house. Now maybe you guys have a translation that says in his house. This is the beauty of the church. You got some people in translators saying, hey, it's a guy, and others saying, hey, it's a girl. So the translation I'm with, this is a woman. There's a church meeting in her house. Ladies, you're called to it, woo! You're called to the fight. Not just sweeping up after the men. Men, uh, men show up, kick off your shoes. They've been in a battle. Just make me a sandwich. <laughs> I love the fact that a church is meeting in her house. I don't, know, I don't know how it all worked. But what she had, she used. What she had, she opened up. Hey, I've got this house. And the church can meet here. And we can be the church in what it is that God has provided for me. Then maybe for some of you, he's not saying, I need you to go get your, I need you to go get your MD. I need you to go become a doctor and then you can be used by, maybe he's just saying, I just need you to open up your resources. Whatever they are, can you open, can you turn the knob on your door and let someone in the house welcome to being used for the kingdom of God? We get down to verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Dang it, anybody wish you had that letter? There's a church in Laodicea. They had a letter sent to them. And Paul's suddenly going, make sure when you're done with yours, send it to them and get theirs and read it to your community. Guys, most scholars that I read believe that that letter to the Laodicean church is the book of Ephesians. They see this correlation between the two letters, which means that the things taught in those two letters should be universal for all of us. It wasn't, hey, this is just for you, community, but it doesn't apply to the others. No, these are two letters that apply to everyone. Live these things. Know these things. Believe these things. Live out these things instead of making excuses. Well, that was then, but this is now. He says, make sure you hear it, you read it, and read theirs, and let them read yours. Say, how's that applied? Is Jesus worth it? Well, somebody had to take the letter, and someone had to bring it back. Someone had to read the letter. You're like, well, that's not a big deal. It absolutely is a big deal. Why? Because the word of God does not return void. But when it is sent out, it accomplishes everything God wants it to accomplish. So if all that you can do right now is read the word out loud to someone else who needs to hear it, welcome to being used by God to accomplish the miraculous. Verse 17, say to Archippus, and see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. Why does he get that one? Nobody else does. Calls out Archippus. Finish the job. I don't know. But maybe for some of us, we need to be reminded of the same thing. You've been given a job and a ministry to fulfill. Fulfill it. When do you know you're done? When you're dead. Guys, when I'm done... I'm dead. Why would God keep me here? I think he's excited to see me. I think he's excited to show off what he's been preparing for me. All, however, the couple thousands of years, he's preparing this place for us. Why would he keep me here? 
When I'm done, I'm dead. And I get to be in the presence of Jesus and see everything that he's wanted me to see. He's excited for it. But until then, we agonize. We work hard for the cause of the gospel that people would come to Jesus. C.T. Studd, which is the sweetest name ever. If I could have the last name Studd, that would be solid. Hey, this is Pastor Studd, right? (laughs) Finally made it. He made this statement. He says, let us not glide through this world and then slip quietly into heaven without having blown the trumpet loud and long for our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Let us see to it that the devil will hold a Thanksgiving service when he gets the news of our departure from the field of battle. Doesn't that just kind of get you going? I want to fight. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people. It's against the spiritual forces of this dark world. And the greatest weapon that we have is prayer. pray and we listen and when God says go we obey in the power of the Holy Spirit to see lives changed, cultures impacted, society shifted and righteousness redeemed, righteousness brought forward that people might be redeemed and then Paul finishes with this as the worship team comes back up chapter 4 verse 18, I Paul write this greeting with my own hand remember my chains Remember my chains, and grace be with you. He said, just remember my chains. Guys, we remember that somebody suffers because they love Jesus. Doesn't it kind of get you a little going, a little something? When I read these stories of people who are actually experiencing true persecution, or they're being martyred because they love Christ, oh, that kind of gets me going a little bit. He's like, remember my chains. Why, because it's about him? No, because it should propel us forward to continue with Jesus no matter what, because we've answered the question, is Jesus worth it? He says five times in 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger, in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak? And I am not weak, who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. I listen to that. I listen to those verses and think, are you out of your mind that you would actually give up your life that causes all those things to happen to you? No, because he says Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Our following Jesus does not give us the red carpet to heaven. Jesus made a way to heaven, and we might have to go through hell to get there, but this is the closest that we'll ever get to hell. Because of what it is that Jesus did for us. Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. It's when we remember who he is and what he's done. We remember the value of the one who's invited us because we know God, Jesus, the son of God, the second person of the Trinity invited me. And what he did, he paid the price that I can have a relationship with him and go Jesus, you're worth it. Whatever you want. Whatever you want. Man, I'm yours. To the day I die, till I last breath, I am yours. To advance the kingdom of God, not mine. 
but your will be done because Jesus is worth it. Let's pray together. As we sing this last song to you, Jesus, God, may we do it in a way that is worthy of who you are. Jesus, you're worth it. You're worth going through the hard stuff. You're worth agonizing in prayer over. You're, you're worth using the jobs and the professions and the roles in our home and as we're students or whatever, in whatever season of life we're in, to use those for your purposes and for your glory. That we don't want to stop at a line and go back to comfort, but we want to be taken further as we follow you. God, please, hear our prayer. I pray that you'd bring us to full maturity and that you would help us to be certain about all the will of God that we might be faithful to you because we love you and you're worthy and you're worth it. God, as we sing to you, be pleased. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone who agrees says amen. Love you more than you know.